Galatians 1, 6 through 24. So turn with me to Galatians 1, 6 through 24, and we'll read through this this morning. For I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. All right, this is Galatians 1, 6 through 24, and it launches us on our new series that we're starting today, uh, going through the first three chapters of Galatians. And then we'll probably take a slight break and then go into the second three chapters in Galatians. We'll do the whole book this, this winter, spring. But as we go into Galatians, and as I felt God leading us here, as I pray about, okay, God, where do you want to go next? What should we be studying? Uh, this is a really interesting book, and to understand it, I need to give you some background, because so often we read these, and we read them out of their context, and if we read them out of their context, sometimes we, we don't know what's really being said. <clears throat> Excuse me. What's really being said, who's talking, why are they saying it, what is Paul saying here? So we need to understand a little bit about what's happening so that we can know what we're reading. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, ever since Abraham, to be one of the people of God meant, to be, meant that you were part of Abraham's family. Now, maybe you weren't born into Abraham's family. You could get adopted into Abraham's family. But especially since Moses and then as the people of Israel came into Israel, took possession of the land under Joshua and started setting up a nation, the people of God, the people who knew God and worshipped Yahweh, were also known as Jews. 
And so to be a follower of Yahweh meant that you tended to become Jewish, even if you weren't Jewish to start with. You, you converted to Judaism and you followed Yahweh because that was how God had revealed himself through the Jews. And you even hear Jesus when he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and they're talking about, she's trying to set up an argument about you know, which mountain, and he says, well, listen, salvation has, does come through the Jews, but then he says, but it's not going to matter where you worship anymore because God was changing things. And so, of course, Jesus comes, and he's a Jewish Messiah. He's Jewish himself. He grows up Jewish, goes to synagogue, has a, all the Jewish presentations and all that, and he's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And a whole bunch of Jews realize, oh, this is the guy. We've been waiting for you know, thousands of years for the Messiah to come, and he's here. And this is the guy, because we see him doing miraculous things that prove that he's of God. We found the Messiah. Yeah, okay. And so they follow Jesus. Of course, then something went wrong, and he got killed, and for a minute, they're like, maybe we were wrong. But then he rose from the dead, and they all saw him, and oh, wow, this is real. It's even more real than we realized, because we saw him die, and he's alive again. And, and hundreds of people saw him, and that's why the church movement was so resilient, because they're like, we know it's real. We talked to a dead guy. He was back. He was alive, and it changed their lives. So now the church is born. And so now the people of God are this new thing that they started to call a church, ecclesia, the called out ones. Okay, but they're still Jewish, and they would meet in the synagogue, and they would hang out, and so they still were the people of God, but they didn't really feel a huge change. They just, now we know who the Messiah is. But they were still Jewish, and they were still the people of God. We just, we've always waited for Messiah, now we've met the Messiah. They didn't feel like a big change had taken place. But God was beginning to move. And, God, and Jesus had said that he was going to call other sheep that were not of that pasture, meaning not just Jews. And so now Paul comes along, and just a quick note, I did this first service too. I'm sorry if this is going to mess with your head. If you've grown up in this, you've probably at some point heard the story or heard it under, understood of, you know, so you have Saul of Tarsus, and then Saul met Jesus, and once he met Jesus, he became Paul. You've heard this, some of you? Yeah? And so you had Saul before Jesus and Paul after Jesus. That's just not in the Bible. What? Yeah, it is. Sometimes he's called Saul, sometimes he's called Paul. Yeah. So Saul is Hebrew. That's his name, Hebrew. And then he goes out and hangs out with Gentiles, and among the Gentiles, they translate his name to Paul. But you won't find a verse where God changed his name and so he got a fresh start with a fresh name. It's just not in the Bible. Just sorry about that. But it's just not there. That's, I grew up with that too. And it, it makes for a fun narrative. Because Jesus did change some people's names. Like Peter. You know, I'm going to now call you Peter. But you will not find out I'm now going to call you Paul. Paul's just the Greek version of his name. Okay? That's for extra. No extra charge. I know. Messing with your, messing with your thing. Because that's... We've always understood it. Oh, God changed him. God did change him, but his name is just the difference between Hebrew and Greek. All right? So anyway, just so you know. Moving on. So now Paul, he, as he just explained here, he starts going out, and he's founding churches, and they're seeing a ton of conversions among Gentiles. And so now there are all these people who are the people of God, but they're not Jewish. And up until now, if a non-Jew wanted to become one of the people of God, they converted to Jewishness, and they got circumcised, and they followed the Jewishness. So they, Sabbath, 
circumcision, clean and unclean foods. And that's what it meant to be a person of God. Because that's what it meant. And suddenly, they're like, well, does it still mean that? Because now you've got these groups of Gentiles who are forming churches, the people of God. And so there was these guys that came from Jerusalem, where it all started, who claimed to be acting on behalf of James, the brother of Jesus, who's the head of the Jerusalem church. And they were coming around behind Paul and visiting the places where people had come to know Jesus, come to know the Messiah, had come to worship Yahweh and said, okay, so yep, that's great. Good. Good for you. Found the Messiah. What's wonderful. Um, There's still some more stuff you got to do. You need to be circumcised. You need to be careful what you eat. You need to observe the Sabbath because you still have to, this is what it means to be a good person of God. And just like in this day and age, what do you do when things are changing and you're getting a lot of conflicting information? I've talked to so many people just through COVID because COVID came along and what was it? It was a novel virus. It's new. Nobody's seen it before. So everybody's kind of going, well, it's kind of this, that, and they're doing research on the fly and people are trying to figure out to so get new virus, they get new treatment. And pretty soon everybody's like, well, I've talked to so many people that are like, I just don't know what's real. I, you know, should I, you know, is the, the vaccine is, is new. So is it good? Is it bad? Should I get it? Should I not? Is it, is it good to not? Or is it good to? What do I do? And it's hard when you're in the middle of change to know, well, what's right? Well, that's these guys. They're in the middle of change and they're like, well, what's right? Because these guys are showing up and going, here's what's right. You need to get circumcised. You need to watch what you eat. And you need to not, you need to not work on, Sunday, on Sabbath, Saturday. And so they're in the middle of this. So these other guys came along and said, listen, here's what you've got to do. Because if you want to be pleasing to God, if you want to be a good God follower, you have to do this. And they went, oh, okay. And that's what Paul reacts to in verse 6, where he's like, what? I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And so Paul starts right off by saying, you have been swayed by other good news. And notice the word he uses. He says, grace. You were called by grace. What is grace? When you are given favor or given a reward that you didn't earn, a reward you didn't win, something you get that you didn't get because you deserved it, because you did the right thing. And he goes, how, you, you abandoned that awful quick because he had taught them, you need to just trust in Jesus' work. But now they're going, oh, but we also have to do X, Y, and Z. And he goes, boy, that was fast. How quickly you went to this other good news. And so then in, in 8 and 9, he says, listen, even if, and even if we came back and told you something different than that, you should not listen. Anybody who's telling you something different than just trusting in the grace of Jesus should be accursed. Pretty strong language. Well, why would you be so tempted to move, to change, to follow something else? Well, he explains why in verse 10. And the, verse 10 is kind of the key motive. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? Because that's what was happening. They were coming and saying, if you want to be part of us, the people of God, you need to conform to this behavior, to this, these standards. And if you don't, you're not one of us. You're not one of God's people. And so he says, 
Are we trying to fit in with people? Are we trying to please men or are we trying to please God? Am I seeking God's favor or man's? And of course, getting man's favor is to do what you're told. To get God's favor is what? Now see, your brain went, do what God told you to do. But that's not how you get God's favor, is it? Because you cannot earn God's favor. You can only be given God's favor through grace. And so if you're going to seek God's favor, you're going to seek it through Jesus, not through being good. Because you cannot earn God's favor. But boy, you immediately want it, don't you? Oh, well, I'll just be good and then God will be happy with me. doesn't work that way. It's grace, which he mentioned. Grace, grace. And then Paul does a weird thing. So he sets us up. Man, you're following the wrong good news. The good news isn't that now you can make God happy with you. The good news is the grace of Jesus. And then he immediately goes into his testimony. And let's just look at a few high points in his testimony that he shares. Because he starts in verse 13. He says, now you know me. You've heard my story. My life in Judaism. This is what I used to be in Judaism myself. I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. (coughs) Why? Verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. In other words, I was top of my class. Being more extremely zealous. There's two words for you. Extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He goes, I was extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions, the way we've always done it. I was, man, this is important. I was, I was ready to kill to keep things the way they always had been. Verse 15, but when God, who set me apart, even in my mother's womb, called me through His grace. He goes, but then God called me on a different basis. Not my zealousness, not how strong I was for God, but through His grace, through His unearned favor. God changed me. He revealed His Son to me so I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And then He says, and when that happened, I didn't immediately run to Jerusalem to get their approval. I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem and connect with the church leaders there. Instead, he says, I went on my own. I went out and preached. And then, verse 18, three years later, three years later, so for three years now, he's been preaching the gospel to Gentiles, and he still hasn't gone and gotten permission from Jerusalem. He hasn't connected to the apostles and the the head, the human heads of the church. And then three years later, he says, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him for 15 days. Cephas being Peter's other name. He said, I spent 15 days with Peter. This is going to be important later. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. And then then the only other apostle I saw, verse 19, I saw James, the Lord's brother. Again, he's the head of the church there in Jerusalem. And then verse 21, then I went back out, Syria, Cilicia. Verse 22, and the churches there in Judea 
the first churches, the original churches, the Jewish churches, they said, they, they didn't even know me by sight. They never saw me. I never connected with them. said, but they did know him by reputation. What was that reputation? The guy who used to try to kill us is now preaching the faith. And he says, and they accepted that. They accepted my approach. So the question is, so that's the passage we read. And that's the end of Galatians 1. The question is, if they've got this huge issue of abandoning the good news they were presented, why does Paul start this way? I mean, verse 6 is nice and powerful. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. That sounds like a big opening. How could you do this? I'm shocked. But then he immediately dives into his story. He immediately dives into his story. Why? Why does he do that? Why does he suddenly give this his own testimony? Well, let's again recap what we just saw about his testimony. Why would he go into this? Verse 14, he was deep in the culture that they were now being told they had to embrace. Verse 14, I was, I was very advanced in Judaism. Because now they were being told, you need to convert to not just Jesus, but to Judaism. He goes, oh, I was, I was head of my class in that. And then he says, but I was called by grace. Which is what he'd said there in verse 6. You are called by grace. He didn't seek the approval of Jewish leadership, who people had shown up saying, we are here on behalf of the Jewish leadership to tell you what you need to do. And then he points out that he was affirmed especially by Peter. And this relationship between Peter and Paul is going to play a pivotal role in us understanding the tension that we see here in Galatians. So over the next two weeks, many of you, if you're familiar with Galatians, if you've been around in this for a while, you know that there's a confrontation coming between Peter and Paul. That's in Galatians. And a lot of times we may have heard sermons or heard teaching on that confrontation especially by people who kind of like confrontation, and so hell, here's an example of that that can happen. But we need to look at, because it's way, there's way more here than oftentimes gets called attention to, because notice that he starts with saying, I went and I stayed with Peter for 15 days. And, you're gonna, and we're going to see it again next week, and then in the third week, we'll get into the confrontation. This relationship between Peter and Paul is really important to understanding the tension going on in Galatians. And let's look at what that tension is. Because we call this the tension. That's the name of this message. And the tension is that culture and Jesus don't always pull in the same direction. Now, when I first say that, your brain may go, well, duh, because the world is against God. And so the world's culture, you know, the cultural degradation. That's not what I'm talking about. Because culture is... Culture is just another way of saying the way of life or the way you do things. And our identity and way of life as God's people takes on a cultural expression. Whenever we try to be God's people, we express that in culture. We express that in a, a way of doing things. Or another way to put it is a how. We're God's people, but how are we God's people? So let's think about in our lives. We have church. We are the church. We are God's people. 
What does that mean? Well, God said, build a big building, paint it white, put a pointy thing on the top of it, and rows inside, and every Sunday morning, sit in it, preferably wearing a tie or a dress, depending on your gender. Right? That's church. Oh, and when do you do that? On Sunday. Because Sunday is for church. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Everything I just said, none of it's in the Bible. Now, what is in the Bible? Gather. Worship together. Learn together. Read Scripture together. Have leaders. That's all in the Bible. Do that. The Bible doesn't say when or where. It doesn't give the how. It just says do it. So we said, well, how are we going to do it? The value is gather, be part of one another with leaders that guide you and equip you. So we said, well, uh, we're going to build a big square building, paint it white, put a pointy top on it, and do, do that Sunday morning. So that's a cultural expression of our faith. Because we've decided, here's the how. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't, necess- they didn't gather on what we call Sunday, because Sunday was just the first day of the week. Well, then, when did Sunday become Sunday? We're supposed to take the day off and go to church. Well, after this, because up until then, Jewish life centered around Sabbath, which is Saturday. And so, everything in Israel shuts down for the Sabbath. When, even now, when you go to Israel, I don't know now, I've, I've, it's been 30 years since I was in Israel, but when I went to Israel 30 years ago, Israel, and Israel is a, a secular country. It's very secular. They're not a religious country at all. The predominant religious, con, religious stance of, of Israel is atheist. There are really conservative Messianic, or not Messianic, uh, Orthodox Jews that are part of Israel and they have their own political party. But Israel is not a religious country at all. But Sabbath, they observe because it's part of their culture still. Do you know when Sabbath starts? About 4 p.m. on Friday. Because in Jewish culture, they're based on Genesis. There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning. So there, so Friday, Saturday starts Friday evening. So if you say, you know, they wouldn't actually say, we'd say Friday evening, they'd say Saturday evening because you have Saturday morning, Saturday evening, and then Saturday morning. And we'd be like, huh? No, Saturday evening comes after Saturday morning. The Sabbath gets over at 4 p.m. on Saturday because that's Sunday evening. It's the first day of the week because their day starts at 4 p.m. Our day starts at midnight. And even then, actually, most of our time, our day starts at somewhere between 5 and 8, right? Because if, if you watch the weather, they'll say, we're going to get snow Thursday night. It's going to start at 4 a.m. You're like, that's Friday morning. But 4 a.m. is still Thursday night. It's still dark out. Notice that's culture. So what happens is we start following the how instead of actually being in Jesus. Because we've expressed our faith into the culture, and then we let the culture be our faith. We let the culture become the value rather than just something that embodies the value. And so pretty soon we follow the how. And then we start judging each other based on how you're doing the how. 
And I run into that all the time. I still have pastors and Christians who are pretty sure that I am a complete apostate because I'm up here right now and I am not wearing a tie. I mean, when I grew up, I'm wearing... I stepped out behind. We just lost 10 followers on Facebook. I'm wearing jeans. It was an article of faith when I grew up that God was against jean stitch in church. You didn't wear dungarees to church. I mean, thus saith the Lord. It's just wrong. Do you know how far I had to come to be able to wear these and preach in them? Oh, my word. That's a long journey for this boy. A Hawaiian shirt. I mean, this is... If we go back in time. The Ira, like 17-year-old Ira, would be calling me out as an apostate. And there are ones who do that now. Why? Because that's not how you're supposed to do it. Why? Well, because it says in the Bible that you're supposed to wear a tie. And in Deuteronomy, it says, thou shalt not wear jean stitch to Sunday church. It's right there in Deuteronomy. Just read it. Right? It's the how. And we get, and so that's what was happening here because, and think about what their hows were. Their hows had been from God. God did say, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. He had, he's the one who came up with clean and unclean food. He's the one who came up with circumcision. They didn't make that up. We made up ties. But God gave them circumcision. So you can excuse them for holding on to that. But see, that's what, we, what even began to trip them up when Jesus came along. Because Jesus was like, that's not what that means. And that's why when Jesus would heal people on Sunday, they're like, you're not supposed to do that. Because that's displeasing to God. He's like, I am God. No, I'm sorry. You, you are displeasing yourself then because you can't heal on Sundays. Jesus like, that's not what Sabbath means. That's not what we, we never meant that. That's not what we meant. Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Because they're like, but this is our tradition. And that's what he said. I was zealous for my tra traditions. And now that has so colored us as a church. Let me just poke the bear a little more. I am oftentimes see expressions of how you vote determines whether you're really a child of God or not. That if you vote certain ways, then obviously you can't love Jesus. Because the Bible says, thou shalt vote this way. And if you don't vote that way, then obviously you're doing it wrong. And you're not acceptable. And there's pressure to conform to a culture to be considered right. And if you don't, if you deviate from the house, oh sure, yeah, you say you love Jesus, but you don't do it the way we do. And how we do it is right. And the thing is, how we do it is not necessarily wrong. It's not wrong to meet Sunday morning. I hope not, because we're here. And I'm planning to be here next Sunday, and I would love you to be as well. It is a cultural expression. This is how we are gathering. Gathering is essential. You should come gather with us. If you're on the stream, if you can, we'd rather have you here in person because we need to be together. But it's not because God told you you had to be here Sunday. It's because that's when we have chosen to do it. This is just how we do it. But sometimes it's done other ways. And we can have pressure to conform to the culture to be considered true and right. And that is a tough spot to get stuck in. Because then we ask, am I real? Am I a real pastor if I don't wear a three-piece suit? If we don't observe... Think about communion. That's a fun one. 
What is communion? Communion. It says we eat the bread, take the cup. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. That's it. Oh, and don't take it in an unworthy manner, which it then is defined by being divisive. But there's, it does not say how often to do it. It just says as often as you do. I grew up Baptist church. That meant God wants you to do communion the first Sunday of every month. Oh, it's communion Sunday. That's when God wanted you to do it. He, didn't, he doesn't say. There, we are never told how to. We are just told to do it as often as you do it to remember him which is now why I do it at a crazy irregular schedule, which drives some of you right up the tree. I know. I'm sorry. But part of it is because we get so attached to the how that then we say the how is what makes us right. And the how doesn't make you right. It's the what. And what makes you right with God? Not your how. Jesus Christ. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus died for you. The good news is that you are pleasing to God, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did for you. That's what makes you good. That's what makes you righteous. That's the good news. So we say, am I real? The other question is, if God doesn't change, why is this different? It's disorienting. And the Galatians, oh, they struggled with this. And the amount of pressure that was coming out of Certain elements of Jerusalem, we're going to see this over the next two weeks. The pressure was so intense that we're going to see it catch an apostle. An apostle who knows better is still going to give in to the pressure. And that's, that'll be part three. So tune in in two weeks. Because that's a tough spot to be in. Am I doing it right? And you're going to see Peter going, maybe I'm doing it wrong. And that's why it's so important to track Peter and Paul and next week, we're going to see Paul say, am I doing it right? Because he doesn't fit in. And this is a tough spot to be in. If God doesn't change, why are things changing? Well, because God doesn't change, but how he does stuff changes a lot. You just can't go through the Bible and not see. In fact, what does it say? Behold, I am doing a new thing. And he'll say things like that. I'm doing a new thing. You've never... At one point, as he talks about Jesus coming, he goes, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one has ever imagined what I'm going to do next. Which is, come die. Whoa. So this book is going to walk us through the struggle because we're living that struggle today. What does it mean to be the church? We have people who, is, is online valid at all? Are you a Christian if you don't go to church but you watch online? Is that okay? What if you vote differently than how you've always been told you're supposed to vote? What if, what if we don't wear the tie? What, what, just all these, all these areas. Because we need to understand how we hold on to Jesus and not be pulled aside because he said in verse 6, you deserted him awful quick. How quickly you deserted the good news. And so, I don't know if you caught it, but Almost all our songs this morning were aimed at focusing on what he's done. I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able, because Jesus is the one who saves. We sang, who am I? I'm the one the sun set free. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am.
I am chosen, not forsaken, because I am who Jesus says I am, not who anyone else says I am. And I am who I am based on the work that Jesus did, not the work that I do. And I'm going to ask Joey to come back up. I'm going to pray. And we're going to end with another song that declares the key to faith. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God, that he came, as we just celebrated, as Emmanuel came and dwelled among us, lived with us, died for us, rose again in victory. And how do I know that I'm right with God? Not because I'm doing such a great job. Not because of the stitch of my pants or my attendance on Sunday. I'm a child of God because I trust His work on the cross on my behalf. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your love for us, your grace that Paul brought up today, that you have called us by grace. You have given us favor, not because we were good or deserving or could somehow achieve a pleasing life to you, but instead because you fulfilled the law, you lived the perfect life, and you died to pay for our mistakes, rebellions, and failures. And we stand before you today not because we're doing okay or we're doing it right, but because even when we really mess up and we fall and we slip and we stumble, and sometimes we do it on purpose, our hope is in you, not in ourselves. And we trust in you because we believe you. And so, Lord, as we go through this series over the next, next four more weeks, Lord, help us to hear what you're saying through Paul in the book of Galatians. And with the Galatians, learn what it means to truly be rooted in you and not in the cultures that we set up as ways to do what you've called us to do. So that we can be wise in learning that hows when the hows change. Because what never changes? You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the only way we can ever come to you is through your son. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to him except that way. So Lord, just be with us this week as your church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.